Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We are going to be in a couple of areas of scriptures. We continue to study the gospel according to Mark. And so you'll want to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then we will make our way to Mark's gospel chapter 1. Once again, that's 1 Corinthians 12 and Mark's gospel chapter 1. Our baptism is this upcoming week. And so we want to see you guys there if you are wanting and willing to be baptized. But as well, I'd like to welcome our Spanish Ministry Church. Uh, We have joined together our Spanish Ministry Church uh, here in the main service with translators. And so there is someone that is currently translating a live simulcast. And uh, we want to welcome all of you into the main sanctuary. We're so thankful that you are a part with us. And so, church, would you welcome our Spanish ministry church and let them know how thankful we are that they're here. So if you hear, uh, if you hear me being translated in Spanish and you prefer that language, just sit closer to next someone that's got one of the transmitters and maybe they'll share. All right. Um, and maybe they have a different sermon. When I go to uh, El Salvador, I preach one sermon. My translator teaches their own. And so uh, I've learned to pick up on some Spanish uh, so that I can tell whether or not they're teaching my sermon or theirs. Um, great. First Corinthians chapter 12, Mark chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts. Father, first and foremost, we have to... We, are remembering those that have suffered through Hurricane Ian. And we ask, God, that you be the God of all comfort to those that have lost loved ones and property. And we pray, Jesus, that you would move through this prayer to minister most effectively to them. But as we dig into your word now, we pray that you would give us the wisdom and the power of your Holy Spirit to hear what it is that you want to say. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is speaking to the church, and I will pick it up once again in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. I want to make a statement. As you are sitting here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay, as believers, each one of us has been given a gift and have been given a ministry and a way or an activity in a way to do that ministry. Every one of us as believers has been given a gift, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and given a ministry and a way for us to do that ministry. Now, your gift may be different than mine. 
That's why Jesus said that wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst. You see, Jesus had all the gifts. We don't. We maybe have one or two, three or four, but none of us have all the gifts. So if we combine our gifts by coming together, Jesus says wherever two or more are gathered, I'm just better represented by more than one person. Let me give an example. I've got the gift of exhortation. And I have no problem to say to you, hey, this needs a change in your life. I have no problem to speak the truth into your life. My wife does not have the gift of exhortation. She's actually very uncomfortable with the gift of exhortation. She has the gift of mercy. Come here. Let me give you a hug. Are you having a bad day? Let me do something for you. Let me just love you in some way, shape, fashion, or form. So if you need the truth, come to me. If you need mercy, go to my wife. Mercy and compassion, that is my wife's gift. Now, here is the truth. You put Andrea and I together, Andrea is my wife, you put Andrea and I together, we look a lot more like Jesus. The gift of exhortation with mercy and compassion. Wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst. Something else you need to know. Not only have you been given a gift and you've been given a ministry, You've been given and have access to and can tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is ask for him. But you've got to be careful not to tap out. You see, you can tap in simply by asking for the power of the Holy Spirit, but you can tap out by grieving the Spirit because of sin that you may be struggling with. You can, the Spirit will convict you of that sin because His desire is to glorify Christ in you. Now, if you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you actually quench the flame of His fire in your life. You can grieve the Spirit and you can quench the Spirit, but this is not what the Spirit of God wants in your life. No, the Apostle Paul told Timothy he was struggling with fear. Fear was sinful for him. And Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound love and power and a sound mind. He said, fan the flame of your gift. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do. He wants to fan the flame of your gift. And what Mark is going to do in chapter 1 He's going to express the truth that each one of us has been given a gift. Each one of us have been given a ministry through the calling of Jesus into ministry. Now keep that in mind. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, as we continue our verse-by-verse study, we will pick it up in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, verse 10. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It came to pass. It came to pass in those days. Well, those days... Luke chapter 3 tells us that Jesus was around 30 years old in those days when he started his public ministry. You see, John was obedient with the ministry that God had given him. He was to be a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And he took his ministry seriously. 
And he did what God called him to do. And he went out into the wilderness and he proclaimed, make straight the way of the Lord. This set the stage through his obedience for Jesus as well to go down to the Jordan. And for Jesus to be baptized. Because John always preached that there was to be one that was after him. One who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus. Jesus is announcing to the world that his ministry had begun. That he would fulfill all righteousness by sacrificing his sinless life. And he would, be, he would live a sinless life. He would be killed. He would be buried. And he would be raised to walk in the newness of life. Represented right now by John's baptism. Now, something happens when Jesus comes up out of the water. A voice from heaven. You are my beloved son. God confirms with that statement that you are the promised Messiah. That the time is actually fulfilled. This goes all the way back to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You don't need to turn there. Listen carefully. David wants to build a temple. God tells him no, but he gives him a promise. And he says, listen, you're not going to build a temple, but I'm going to give you a promise that out of your line will come the Messiah, will come the anointed one. And when he gives that promise to David, take a look at the screen. He says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. In the moment that God said, You are my beloved son. He was confirming the fulfillment of the Davidic promise that Jesus is the anointed of the line of David. But he didn't just say that. He says, you're my beloved son. I am well pleased. Dads, would you listen to that? Would you listen to our heavenly father speaking to his son, his child? And would you maybe realize that this is one of the best parenting advice that you can receive, that you would look at your son or you would look at your daughter and you would hold their face in your hands and you would say to them, you're mine, I love you, and I'm well pleased with you simply for the fact that you're mine. I don't care how big of a mess up they might be. If you would take the time to learn this parenting advice from our father and take a look at your child and let them know how loved they are. But Jesus, you have to understand what God was saying. In the original language, this phrase is in the past tense. God is speaking and he's saying, I was well pleased. Now, please don't hear that God is no longer pleased with his son. That is not what God is saying. And when he says, I was well pleased, you have to remember, Jesus has lived 30 years on this earth. And he lived 30 years a sinless life. Opportunity after opportunity was there for him to fall and to fail. He grew up with brothers and he grew up with sisters. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Listen, for the apostle James alone, I became a Christian. Let me tell you why. For James to get saved, the brother of Jesus blows my mind. Because if I was to announce to you all today that I am the Messiah... 
my sister would go on social media and she would begin to list every sin that I had ever committed on the face of this planet. He pulled my hair. He used to yell at me. Now imagine growing up with Jesus. He's never in trouble. You're always the one in trouble. And when you're in trouble, he's not mocking you. He's over in the corner going, James, I'm going to pray for you because dad really is upset. Lord, I just pray for James right now. Would you give him the ability to get through this spanking in, in, in my name? Amen. I mean, just imagine growing up with Jesus. He's never made a mistake. James believed it. He believed the theology. And God is speaking to his son and he's saying, I've watched you for 30 years. I am well pleased with your sinless life. Let me tell you why. Because the priest's job was to inspect the lamb to make sure that it was spotless and that it was without defect. And for 30 years, Jesus was put to the test. And Jesus proved of the 30 years of his life that he was sinless. And now God is pronouncing him purified. He's pronouncing him spotless. He's pronouncing him without defect. I am well pleased with him. He's letting the world know that he is his perfect lamb of God. No wonder the next day after listening to this moment, John the Baptist would see Jesus after the baptism and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Imagine the situations and circumstances that Jesus went through up until his 30 years of life, proving over and over and over and over again that he is the sinless, without defect, Lamb of God. He's doing the same with you. You see, Jesus at a very young age knew that he was about his father's business. And God is using the situations and circumstances of our life to prepare us for our father's business. He is using your life to prepare you for the ministry that he has called you to. Now listen, our ministry is not to be the Messiah. That's not our ministry. It was the ministry of Jesus. But we do have a ministry that he's using our life to prepare us for. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you know this. A little chat fact. I was a teacher in the public schools. Now, you have to understand, not like a public school public school. In the state of Florida, when kids would get expelled, they, if they weren't 16 or over, they still had to remain in school even though they were expelled. I taught at that school. That was my classroom. Can you imagine what that classroom was, was? With a bunch of kids who were expelled and had no desire to be in school. One day I asked one of my students to read a book. He so lovingly picked up his desk and threw it at me. This was my classroom. I would call security all the time. Security, Chet's class, security, Chet's class. One day I didn't go to class. I was sick. I wasn't feeling well. I don't know if I was sick or I'd had it, but I just decided I wasn't going to class. And they invited a substitute teacher in my class. My class was perfect. The sub never called the security once the entire day. They walked to lunch. They walked back. They walked to the bus. They left. Everything was fine until the janitor went to the classroom to clean and found the substitute teacher locked in the closet. (laughs) That was my classroom. From there, I graduated to the juvenile detention center. My first day at the juvenile detention center, I handed out number two pencils to all of my class. 
One of my students got mad at another student and stabbed the student with the number two pencil. The next day I showed up and I passed out crayons to all of my students. We never used pencils again. It's amazing to me that then God would call me from there to minister to child soldiers. It was the same spirit. God was using my experience as a teacher just to prepare me for what he was going to call me to in Africa. Every single one of us are in JCU, Jesus Christ University. He is preparing us for the ministry to which he has called us. Amen? Amen. And I want to let you know something. You're not on your own. The Spirit came upon him. Not only did the Father say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. No, 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 no. The Spirit in the form of a dove. The Bible says in Luke chapter 3, it was an actual dove in bodily form that came down and rested on Jesus. The Spirit of God came upon him. Jesus operated in the power of the Spirit. Take a look. It's Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10. How God anointed Jesus, the testimony of Peter. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The Spirit came upon Jesus, the God-man. Let me tell you why. You see, he chose to operate in the power of the Spirit as the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, to set an example for us that we need the Spirit to do the work of the ministry. That's why Jesus said, you can't do anything apart from me. I remember what he told the disciples. After he walked into the room and breathed on them the Holy Spirit, and they received their salvation. After that, he says to them in Luke 24, go to Jerusalem and wait for the power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me. Something happened to those disciples because they were terrified in that upper room and they hadn't left yet. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon them Now remember, he'd already breathed the Spirit of God into their hearts and lives. They were saved. But he told them to wait for the power of the ministry to do the work of the ministry. And in Acts chapter 2, those fear-filled disciples left that upper room after the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the very ones they were afraid of, they marched out into Jerusalem and said, You stiff-necked murderers, you killed our Lord. Today's your day to repent. Something happened. And that something is the power of the Holy Spirit. You have access to the power of the Spirit. Mark chapter 1, would you look at verse 12 immediately? The Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And if you don't believe in Satan, the Bible does. Tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast and the angels minister to him. Now remember, I told you a couple of weeks ago, Mark is not concerned about the details. Mark has a point that he wants to prove. We're going to get to that in a minute. And he just gives us the chronology of what's going on. He kind of like, he gives us the quick start of everything to get us to his point. Matthew and Luke are a little bit different. 
Matthew and Luke, they love to give us all the color attached to this moment, and they actually tell us the three ways that Jesus was tempted and how Jesus conquered the enemy by the truth of the Word of God. But Mark, he has one intention in mind, and I want you to see that intention. Once again, would you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 12? Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The Spirit compelled him. The Spirit expelled him. The Spirit forced him. The Spirit moved him into that wilderness. I need to let you know something. The contact between Jesus and Satan was not an accident. The contact between Jesus and Satan in that wilderness was not the devil taking advantage of Jesus. The contact was initiated and directed by the Spirit of God. It was not initiated by the devil. It was directed by the living Spirit of God. You see, Jesus was being driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to initiate the great spiritual battle that would lead straight to the cross. Jesus was driven by the Spirit to instigate that battle. And we're going to see that battle throughout the entirety of the gospel according to Mark. Because Jesus had a job to do. You'll see it there. Uh, Jesus had a job to do. And you'll see it there on the screen in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. His job in 1 John 3, verse 8, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the purpose the Son of God was manifested, or the reason why Jesus came, is that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was going to destroy the works of the devil, but I need to let you know something. And you know this personally. The devil doesn't go down without a fight. He don't go down without a fight. Do you remember the scene? Big old nine-foot Goliath. He comes out onto the scene. Fee, fi, fo, fum, I smell the blood of an Israeli man. I don't know what he said, but the point is, he went out on the scene, this huge guy. And you know what the Bible says about him in 1 Samuel? The Bible says in 1 Samuel that just like the devil did with Jesus, he taunted the children of Israel for 40 days. He didn't relent. He taunted them. He mocked them. Now, I want you to go into that wilderness for just a moment. Because there is Jesus being driven by the Spirit to instigate this fight. And he's fasting for 40 days. But this initial battle that the Spirit drove Jesus into was to show the enemy that even in his weakest state, after fasting for 40 days, he would not be tempted to move from the ministry that God Almighty had given Jesus. Because can I tell you something? That's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to move you from the, the ministry that God has given you. Some of us, we used to serve why aren't you serving anymore? Do you realize that the enemy may have moved you from what God intends you to do? Each one of us has been given a gift. Each one of us has been given a ministry. The enemy doesn't want us to be in ministry, so you know what he does? He distracts us. He distracts us. 
He takes away our time with distractions. He tempts us to sin so that when we go to sign up for choir, we hear, you can't be in choir. Do you know what you did last week, you sinner? He condemns us. So he tempts us to condemn us. Better yet, you know what he tells us? What impact are you going to have? I mean, listen to you. Do you know who you are? You're just one person. What are you going to be able to do? And he lulls us into complacency, but not Jesus. Jesus would march right into that desert of the enemy. Now, you have to understand, this is a spiritual desert. We talked about it last week. It's arid. It's dry. There's no life in it. It's void. It's without form. And Jesus would march right into the desert where the enemy was. Now, remember, the desert was filled with wild beasts. And Jesus would do exactly what the enemy did. Because the enemy marched right into the Garden of Eden where Adam dwelled with the animals and he tempted the first Adam to sin. So Jesus would march right where the devil lives, go right into his territory where the wild beasts are and the snakes and the lions and the tigers, oh my. And Jesus would march right into that fearful place and he would not falter and he would not fail. Listen to what the writer of Romans says. Paul, he says to the church in Romans 5, 19, for as by one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Adam fell. But Jesus, so also by one man's obedience, speaking of Jesus, capital M, many will be made righteous. Let me tell you why. Our second Adam, Jesus Christ, will not falter. He will not fail. In fact, his temptation would not lead him to fail. His temptation would lead him to be our great high priest that though he was tempted, he was without sin and now he can sympathize with our weakness. God turned it on the devil and that's why the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Now rest assured. Rest assured, let me define what ministry is. The purpose of ministry is to march into the devil's territory and take back ground, just like Jesus marched into the desert. The Spirit of God is driving all of us to be in ministry so that we can take back the ground that the enemy has stolen. But I need to just give a commercial note for just a moment. You're not alone. The angels ministered to Jesus. You're not alone. Because the angels are ministering spirits, not just to Jesus. It's Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. They're ministering spirits to us. The Bible says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? There is Jesus in his weakest moment, 40 days, and God sends forth the angels to minister to him. There he is in the Garden of Eden, and what is, excuse me, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does God do? He sends forth his angels to minister to him in Luke 22. I know this. And though you may not know they're angels, they're there. I was running in a race in the Bahamas. It was a half marathon. I got to like mile 11, I was done. I was done. I was like, 
I watch this older guy beat me, and I'm like, I'm done. I, I, I'm, in, I'm humiliating myself. I'm going to walk in. I, actually, I'm not going to even walk in. I'm taking off the little thing, and I'm walking away. I don't even want anyone to know. And I'm thinking this in my mind, okay? And then I'm at home in the Bahamas. I'm running this half marathon, and this, this Bahamian woman is sitting on the curb as I'm thinking this in my mind. You know what she says to me? She don't know me from Adam. You know what she said? Keep running, man. You can do it, boy. Just keep going. And I looked at her and I go, you are an angel sent forth from God. I know this. I'll never forget. I was in Liberia, West Africa. We were behind rebel lines. We got four flat tires. It's midnight. Imagine the moment. I'm stuffing tires with dirt and grass just to get out of of the jungle. A man comes out of the bush. He's got a machete in his hand. He swipes the machete on the ground, and he lifts it up to our throats, and he says, I'm greater than God. Well, the man that I'm with, he says to him, this is my country. These are my people, and this is my land. And you can kill me today right here on my land, but you are not greater than God. You know what I was thinking? This is not my country. This is not my people, <laughs> and this is not my land. So you know what I did? I reached down to grab the tire iron, and I was going to come up and hit him on the head. So I reached down. I'm all like sly. You know, I reached down. I grab it, and I come popping up to hit him in the head. When I came up, my head hit the hatch of our car, knocked me right out. It was like God said, stay down. I got this. I woke up. It's dark and hot. And I said, my God, I didn't make it to heaven. (laughs) And my friend goes, no, dude, we're not dead. I don't know what happened. Fifteen guys came out in an ambush, and then all of a sudden they ran away. I can't wait to meet the angel that stood on top of my car and said, touch him and see what happens. (laughs) You're not alone. You're not alone. Only a third left heaven. We outnumber them two to one. He will send his angels to minister to you. Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was put in prison, excuse me, can we just stop there for just a minute, please? Mark goes a little too quick for me. I'm going to read this one more time. Now, after John, John the Baptist was put in prison, What happened? Is this the John the Baptist that had the thriving ministry? Is this the John the Baptist that all of Judea was coming? Where a major revival was happening? That people repenting? He had such a profound... Excuse me. uh, Mark, now after John was put in... He went to prison? Now before you start believing any kind of bad press, John didn't do anything wrong wrong. He went to jail because he did something right. You got to remember the ministry of John. The ministry of John was to make straight the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So when the Pharisees would come on the scene, you know what he called them? You brood of vipers. Can you imagine my first sermon here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay? I start, good morning, South Bay, you brood of vipers. (laughs) 
Imagine if I started this way. Now, that's not my ministry. I'm a pastor, okay? This was to make straight the way of the Lord. And let me tell you this. Not only that, Herod told his brother to divorce his wife, and Herod then married his wife. So John, in Jerusalem, Herod, you're wrong. You broke the law of God. You forced your brother to divorce his wife so that you could marry her, and that is wrong. Excuse me? John, do you know who I am? Arrest him. Put him in prison. He went to jail because he spoke the truth in someone's life. Now, I need to let you know as your pastor, this has never happened to me. Every time I speak the truth into someone's life, they say, thank you so much. I am so grateful that you are calling me out. I'm not embarrassed. I don't have any anxiety about it. I'm so grateful that I'm going to change my life. Is there anything else that you'd like to call me out on? Because I'd like to change everything today. Are you kidding me? I'll never forget, a couple came in my office and they asked me to marry them. They were living together. And I said, I'd love to marry you. I'd like for you to separate for a month. Purify your relationship. Fast from relationship for a month. And let God know you're more serious about him than you are about each other. You could see the steam coming up out of her. So I said, let's meet tomorrow. You let me know. She comes back in my office. The next day, Pastor, I wanted to rip your head off. She goes, I woke up this morning and I wanted to rip your head off. But then, it was like the Spirit spoke to me and I realized what you were telling me was true. Now, at this point, I'm going, is she going to rip my head off? Or it's like, are we heading like, do I need to call security? I had flashbacks in my classroom. It's like, what's going on here? And they decided to separate. They decided to do it right. And they're married with three children today and lead their children in truth. Now listen, it don't always happen that way. Because John the Baptist had a ministry of telling people the truth. It wounded him up in jail. How could this be God's plan for ministry? I need to make a disclaimer at this point. Our call to ministry is to be faithful at all costs. Our call to ministry is to be faithful at all costs. John had made enemies with the Pharisees, calling them a brood of vipers. Herodias wanted John dead, and she gets her goal, handing his head on a silver platter to Herod. Imagine how hated he was for doing his ministry, but he was committed, and he was committed at all costs. Now let's read it again. Now after John was put in prison, we understand, Jesus came to Galilee. Now this is a very smart strategic move. There's political religious unrest in Jerusalem. Jesus knows that, so he decides to leave Jerusalem and go to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. In other words, it's now. And the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right in front of you. Speaking of himself, repent and believe in the gospel. You see, Mark lets us know Jesus has moved on to Galilee. But I need to let you know this was not just a coincidence. 
This was a godowitz. Jesus knew by the circumstance and situation the time was now. Let me explain. God had already told him to go to Galilee. Matthew lets us know in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4. Take a look at the screen. Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, coming from the prophets. Listen carefully. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen, speaking of Jesus, a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Jesus was directed by the word of God where to do ministry because the word of God should always direct and guide our ministry. So, young single men, please listen to me. If you believe that the Spirit of God on Saturday night is giving you a ministry to the bars to single women, that's the devil. Okay? If you believe that the Spirit of God has told you to go to the bar and minister to a young single woman as a young single man, that's the devil. That is not the Lord. Because ministry will always be, should be guided and directed by the Word of God. Jesus went to Galilee because it was the direction he got from the Word of God. Now, when you hear God speak to you from the Word, get on it. Do it immediately. We're going to see that in just a moment. But Jesus, he's making it clear the kingdom of God is right in front of you. He's making it clear it's time to enter into this kingdom. And the way that you enter in is you repent and you believe. It's important. Because those two go hand in hand. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, he says repent and believe. You've not only got to turn away from sin, you've got to turn toward the Savior who died for you, who was buried and rose again. It's not enough to just say you're sorry and turn from sin. You've got to say you're sorry and turn towards, in belief, the Savior. I've got so many people who will come to me and say, hey, will you support us? We're going to go dig a well in Africa. I would love to support you digging a well in Africa. Tell me how you're going to preach the gospel while you're digging the well. I would love to send Christmas boxes around the world. Tell me how you're going to preach the gospel when we send those boxes. I would love to help you feed the poor. Tell me how we're going to preach the gospel when we feed the poor. Because we have to preach the kingdom. That was the ministry of Jesus. So we can't just provide water. We've got to provide the living water. And the way that we do is we say, repent, turn away from your sin, and believe in the Savior. Because repentance and faith in Jesus are the objective of every ministry. If repentance and belief are not a part of the ministry, I don't want to be a part of it. Let me explain. While we were living in the Bahamas, the first liquor joint, strip joint, was being built. Okay? So this is in 2000. Okay? First ever was being built in the Bahamas. Pastors were up in arms, and one of them came to me and said, Will you go and march around seven times? Hold this sign that says, Repent! I said, Yes, I'll do it. Yes, let's go. We got Chet. I'll do it. 
when you tell me the plan on how you're going to reach out to the owner for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I'm not going to just say repent and not offer belief. We don't just say become the moral police and tell everybody what they're doing wrong without turning them towards the loving, compassionate Savior that has died for their sins. Repentance and faith in Jesus are the objective of every ministry. Now, here's where we close. Would you take a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16? And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, so he came by Calvary Chapel, South Bay. Truly, you're not here by accident today. So he walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, Sally and John, let's say, and uh, let's say David and and Michael, Danielle, and Monica. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to him, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And he immediately called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat, with the hired servants, and went after him. Now, before we go any further, this is not the first time that Jesus has come in contact with these four guys. He had met them a year ago down at the Jordan River. You remember. John and Andrew were down there following John the Baptist. Jesus comes on the scene, and and John says, Behold the Lamb of God, and John and Andrew go and follow Jesus. Andrew, so excited that he found the Messiah, he goes and tells Peter, you better come, I found the Messiah. Peter comes walking in on the scene and Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, I know exactly who you are. You shall be Cephas. Now, a year later, he meets them at the Sea of Galilee. He says, you guys, come follow me. And they forsake their way of life to follow after Jesus. You see, Jesus has been working on them for a year. They were there at the Cain of Galilee where he turned the water to wine. They left him and went back fishing as Jesus went back to Judea to preach the gospel. It was when John was in prison that he left Judea, went back to Galilee, and he saw them on the beach and he said, okay, it's time. You have a ministry. You have a gift. And I'm walking by the shores of Calvary Chapel, South Bay, and I'm calling you. Follow me. Oh, Chad, did you just change the scripture? No, listen carefully. Ministry is the opportunity to be discipled by Jesus, not just sitting in a chair. Ministry is the opportunity to be discipled by Jesus. The way that Jesus did discipleship was on the job. He didn't just have them sit in the seat. You learn something, you go out, you live your life. No, they were involved and engaged with ministry because the truth of the church is that each one of us have a gift and each one of us have a ministry. Now you get to choose how you're going to respond. Because these men answer the call. They immediately get involved with the opportunity that's right in front of them. Jesus, we're in. We get it. You've been trying to get our attention a long time. What ministry? We're following you. Is that what it is? We're following you. 
they forsake their former way of life to follow Jesus. I've been living life for me, and I've been living life the way I want to live, but okay, Jesus, I'm going to leave the way that I want to live life, and I'm going to follow after you because now I know I've been given a gift, and I've been given a ministry, and it's my responsibility to operate my gift in that ministry. And they didn't say, well, what about my family? What about my business? I mean, what am I going to do? How am I going to, I mean, I've got family, I've got, that's not what they said. Their family and their business became a vessel in God's hands to advance the kingdom of God. They did not use their family as an excuse to not serve. They did not use their business as an excuse not to serve. They left their life to go and minister. Now let me explain. Zebedee. Zebedee had a fishing business. We know that he had a house in Jerusalem. So he was the wealthy business entrepreneur. It's right before Passover. He's gone down to the business. He needs more fish. So we've got to get some fish to Jerusalem. This is going to be a big sale day. Got a lot of people coming for Passover. Zebedee's down at the water. He knows of Jesus because John's come back from spiritual retreat and told him all about him. That's Zebedee. Zebedee's got the money. He's got the business. Simon and Andrew are partnered with him. They live in Galilee. So they, they're running the business. Zebedee and the boys live in Jerusalem. And we know that because John knew the high priest. So they're all down there. And Jesus knows that he goes down and he gets them. Salome, James and John's mom. Let's call her Sally. Okay, so we got Zeb and we got Sally. Those are the parents. Salome follows Jesus and ministers to him out of her abundance. She was taking care of Jesus. Ironing his little cloak, you know, making sure when he came home there's food. She was just following Jesus, and she provided for him from her own means. But let me tell you something about Sally. She never worked a day in her life. Where'd she get the money from? Zeb. Because husband was supporting Salome's ministry to Jesus, and James and John were doing the work of the ministry. They weren't using the family as an excuse not to minister. The whole family was doing ministry. Zebedee was providing through the business. Salome was making sure that Jesus was taken care of with hospitality. And the boys were doing the work of the ministry. Which one are you? Because let me tell you something. We all play a part in the ministry with Jesus. We all play a part. Do you remember Rudy's testimony? Rudy didn't change because one person ministered to him. Two, three. He so happens to run into Steph, who's on staff here, of which you support, and his life is changed. We are all called into ministry. Every one of you changed Rudy's life. Your ministry is the reason he's changed. We are all called to play a part in the ministry. Now i got a question. Are you in? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the work of your Spirit. And now I'm asking for the power of your Spirit. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would use this moment in the life of this church to change us, 
We know that we're all called into ministry, and we know that it requires leaving our former life behind and letting our life be about you. The word has been proven to us. We each have a ministry. We each have a gift. But we need the power of your spirit. So spirit, would you move in this place? In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.